Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark, the podcast exploring rural innovation in Canada, both social and economic. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. Each week on Rural Spark, we take a look at ideas, strategies, and experiences related to the challenges facing rural communities across Canada, including an aging population, outmigration, and a shortage of skilled workers that could help the economy grow. This week's episode targets those issues in particular. In the face of these challenges, we see many leaders looking to immigration as a possible solution, and in some cases, immigration has indeed made all the difference. We wanted to take a look at where immigration is having a major impact on economic development and population growth in a rural area, and we found a terrific example in Winkler, Manitoba. Winkler is a hub community in the Pembina Valley, south of Winnipeg, and Winkler is indeed a success story in immigration and economic development. In fact, Winkler now has the fastest growing economy in Manitoba. The Winkler example is also a great opportunity for us to explore the role of local government in addressing a rural community's economic needs. So we invited the mayor of Winkler, Martin Harder, to talk with us about Winkler's immigration success and what the community's experience might mean for other areas of rural Canada. And a little apology up front here, our golden retriever decided he needed to get in on this episode, so please do forgive us for the odd bark. So Martin, as we've spoken before, I had the pleasure of visiting Winkler twice in recent years, and I I found it really to be a slice of life in Canada that I was quite unfamiliar with. Um, As I mentioned, I'm from rural Nova Scotia, and I've, I've traveled across the country, but Winkler is quite different from uh, other areas I've I've been to. Um, can you describe for our listeners uh, that might not be familiar either where Winkler is and a little bit about the community? Well, Winkler is a community that's approximately an hour and a half southwest of Winnipeg. Uh, we are a, meal, a mere uh, 12 miles from the U.S. border, immediately north of Walhalla, North Dakota. So we're within two-hour drive to Grand Forks, North Dakota, within uh, seven and a half hours to Minneapolis to the south. So the connection would be I-29 going into uh, the U.S., Highway 75 going north to Winnipeg, and you go straight west on 14 Highway, and you get to Winkler. Terrific. Um, when I did visit, I was visiting my daughter. She was living in Winkler at the time. And I was a little surprised at the number of languages I was hearing uh, being spoken there. And I was surprised uh, to find a Mexican grocery store in southern Manitoba. Can you tell us a little bit about where people are coming from to live in Winkler? Well, the interesting thing about Winkler and immigration has played a huge part as far as the growth and uh, employment is concerned. Uh, The majority, or I shouldn't say the majority, we actually have a total of uh, 88 different countries represented in the city of Winkler. We have 130 countries within the Pemina Valley region from different countries. So we're very diverse. The predominant language, well, I mean, English is your predominant language, but your basic people group, uh, a good chunk of the people group would obviously come from the German background. And we'll call it low German uh, background because that's that's where where the majority of the people came from. So it's come from a very conservative background to a very modern uh, community that it is today. 
It's incredible diversity, really. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the program was to look at Winkler as an example of immigration that works for social and economic development. Um, you may have more recent numbers, but I understand that about 16% of Winkler's population is foreign born. Is that pretty accurate? I think that number is considerably higher right now. I, I should maybe maybe give you a good picture. I sure. do interviews with grade three and four, grade two, three, and four people. I always ask the classroom, how many of you, how many of your parents have moved to Winkler since 1995? And of course, these kids are all born, either born here or have just arrived here. And it's usually very interesting that we have probably 35, 40% of the kids in that age group that do not come from Winkler. Wow, it's an incredible uh, social um, experience too when you talk about the schools and languages and that sort of thing. Ha have there been efforts? Um, is, is language uh, a, a challenge and has the local government and maybe community organizations been involved with helping people um, settling in when they come to Winkler as newcomers, including the language um, transition? Well, very much so. If we go back to the early 90s when immigration really began in Winkler, the majority of them came from European backgrounds, so they were either either Russian, Kazakhstan, Germany, like that whole European area. Uh, the biggest issue was the high German language, and, and the, the, the culture of the language here would be, and you'd call it a low German dialect. However, this was now high German. So a lot of the people that came here kind of sort of understood but couldn't read English, but they, they could communicate in German and be readily uh, uh, accepted. And uh, lots of help as far as uh, transitioning that. And I'll just give you a good indication of what the business community said. The business community said this, whether the parents actually are that fluent in English is not my biggest concern. I want the kids because they are the up-and-coming workforce. Now, when I look at these kids of the parents that came in the mid-90s, and I'll give you some examples. We have people who are managers of the credit union. We have people who are lawyers, people who are dentists, people who are optometrists that come from that crop of kids that came at that time. So the process of integrating them came from the elementary school beginnings because they all had teacher assistants who would help them with the languages, people who understood the language and able to communicate with them. And those kids are now very fluent in English and are highly educated and are actually huge contributors to your community. The other thing that has been neat with this immigration is they came here as a labor force demonstrated their skills. And I, I built a new house in uh, 2011. In that new house that I built, all the skilled trades that were working in my home, whether it was from a plumber to electrician to a bricklayer to a carpenter, there was probably 80% of them that came that were from immigrant backgrounds. So there were highly skilled people that came to Winkler. Wow, I'm wondering, um, it's not just a story of the original settlers having people from their home country uh, come in years that followed, especially in the last 10 or 20 years. There's been so much diversity, as you say, you know, now representing 88 countries. Why has that diversity uh, come about? How has it come about? Why are people coming from uh, so many countries to Winkler? 
Well, the community is a very good community to raise your families. Most of the people who came here were because of, came because of lifestyle and job opportunities, and they have not been disappointed. We have uh, over 80% of the people that came here that still live here, and this is 15, 20 years later, and, and this is now their home. So I look at the opportunities, and I look at the number of these immigrant families who came here as labor, who now not only have, have uh, attained uh, higher levels of, of education as well as uh, integration into the community, they actually started their own businesses. There's a phenomenal number of businesses that are located in Winkler that come from the same immigrant population, whether it's in the plastics business, whether it's in manufacturing, uh, whether it's carpentry, uh, all of the skills that are there. And they have now not only they're not working for anybody else anymore, they have, they have established their own businesses, which which obviously has created a huge. You got a dog there weighing in on this thing. He's I know. Too. <laughs> but no, they, 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 they have become so well established and created their own businesses and are contributing to the economy, like uh, as, as we well know, Winkler's doing very well economically. But I'm also intrigued by how strong the manufacturing economy is and how diversified it is. It seems like everything from RVs to windows and doors is, are made there. Yes. Um, last year, I had a chance to drive through the industrial park, and I found it just went on and on. Um, it's not one big employer that keeps things going, but lots of small manufacturers that drive so much employment. How did that kind of um, manufacturing diversity develop, and how does that sector thrive now in Winkler? You know, I think from the history of the, from generations ago already, the people, and I'll, I'll, I'll use the term Mennonite people, low German background, they have an entrepreneurial skill maybe that is lacking in some areas, but is definitely demonstrated here. And I'll give you a good example of a Triple E is a company who is in the leisure travel van business and actually uh, ship Triple uh, E leisure travel vans all over the world and including majority of it going to the U.S. So they they produce something like 13 RVs a week and um, uh, they they run 125 $185,000 a piece and they have come through diversity and including hardship. At one point in time, they sold out to the Patterson Group out of, uh, out of Vancouver because of hardship when they were manufacturing trailers. They bought it back as they got their feet back under the ground again. They continued to working. And then in 2008, when we had the economic downturn, they were manufacturing most of their units were 40-foot the diesel pushers, like the huge units that were, you know, quarter million, three, three, four hundred thousand dollar units, half a million dollar units. All of a sudden, the bottom dropped out. Now, and he, and here is the reason for success in Winkler. If that would have been owned by a foreign company, they would have picked up the pieces and ran. They would never have sat down and imagined what it could be. So what Triple E did, they bought Triple E Leisure Travel, uh, they bought Leisure Travel Vans, which is a different company, manufacturing the new model of leisure travel that is currently uh, really taking off. So instead of leaving town, they said, you know, let's change. And they started building these. So today, 
that company is just absolutely booming. When we have projects that we want to do in Winkler or some charitable organizations want to do something and they need some help, they're there cutting the checks. If the golf course is a little short of money, they cover it. If somebody else is short of money, they go and contribute it. Salem Home, who's a personal care home, and their father, the originator of Triple E, uh, ended up in Salem Home. This is probably about 10 years ago. They needed a new dining facility. And you know what they did? And it was over a million dollar projects. Triple E says, you know, we'll invest in this and we'll do it. Don't worry about it. We'll build it for you. Now, you don't get that kind of uh, community investment from somebody who comes from the outside just simply saying, I'm here to take my money. These guys are here to give to the community. And they're only one example. I could, I could give you a list of a dozen or two dozen that are doing exactly the same thing. The other big thing is out of these bigger companies, local companies, there is the spirit of entrepreneurial spirit that is, that is within the employees. So they've had lots of employees who have quit and actually began a business that other people would look at being competition. What Triple E did, instead of treating them as a competitor that was somebody to work against and trying to make him unsuccessful, they invested and said, grow your business, we'll buy your products. And so they helped them to grow their business, which spun off and created all kinds of other Elias Woodwork is a prime example. It's another huge company who is expanded to a point where they've got 300 plus employees and ship cabinets all over the world, including a lot of them to home hardware across the U.S. So instead of snuffing other people out, they help them to become successful because then we're all successful. So I so think the, that attitude is what has changed. So it's a different kind of entrepreneurial attitude, I guess, that is very rooted in the community. And when I drove through the um, the industrial park there and saw all these, you know, smaller-ish yep. um, manufacturing companies, I thought they must all be buying from each other as part of the support that, that keeps them going and allows them to thrive. Yes, they do. Uh, are you familiar with Acrylon Plastics? Yes, I remember my um, my daughter's friend when I was there was explaining this success story. Acrylon Plastics produce, obviously, playground equipment and other products, of which the slide that the uh, Obamas had for the White House came from Winkler. So Acrylon Plastics, I sat down with the president of Acrylon Plastics. They have a plastic uh, manufacturing company in Winnipeg. They have one here. So I asked them, I said, why, why Winkler? Why are you in Winkler rather than combining your your facilities in Winnipeg, making them a little bigger and doing everything there. And there's two things. Number one is there was no other place that they could go that would have the productivity they got out of the people living in Winkler. The other thing that was interesting, he says, and you're talking about using each other's uh, companies in order to become successful. He said, if I have a electrical problem, I call the local electrician, he's there in half an hour and he fixes my problem. And if it becomes a bigger piece where I need a manufacturing piece, and of course all the manufacturers in Winkler, there's lots of opportunity to go and buy a piece. But he says if the piece is so big that I have to get something, and, and using the steel uh, terminology, to, to have something lathed and created, they will take that piece of equipment out and move it you know, 
three blocks down the road too, and we have uh, General Metal is one that does this type of stuff. They will make me something brand new, put it back together again, put it in my shop, and within the week I'm up and running. So he says that is why we want to be in Winkler because all of the services are available. And I'm talking about manufacturing, but it goes much beyond manufacturing. It talks about, and we'll maybe get into that yet, in regards to the whole integration aspect of it into the community and and how people have accepted others that have moved into our community. I read that uh, 10 to 20 new businesses are added to Winkler every year. And in 2002, it's a while ago now, but that 55 new businesses actually started up in that one year. Um, and that, that a big part of that is actually attributed to cooperation between the local government and Winkler's entrepreneurs. What can you tell us about that? Reinvesting back into community and allowing opportunities for growth. And the city of Winkler started it with a little bit of seed, with a little bit of a plot of land where they can get started on and then continue to grow. Two years ago, and this was the first full year that we operated it, we designed another program which said that of our base municipal tax rate, if you're an industry or a commercial enterprise and you are adding to the tax base in Winkler, whether it's by expansion or whether it's a new build, the first year, the basic mill rate will be forgiven. The second year, you'll pay 20%. The third year, 40 and then 60 and then 80. And then finally, in year six, you're paying the full tax rate. So we designed this program to try to continue to encourage people to expand and build in Winkler. Are those kinds of incentives uh, common, would you say, uh, Martin, or among uh, municipal um, governments in Canada or in Manitoba, or do you think it's a little bit of an outlier? Well, it certainly was an outlier. I'm not saying that it hadn't happened before, but I know that for us it was, we broke new ground. Uh, today, uh, the Morden to the west of us has adopted a similar program, so, but you know, it's okay. We're we're going to continue to do our thing, and, and we're considered to be leaders in the field, and we will continue to be leaders. Are there skill shortages in Winkler now with the business that's going on there, Martin? Um, and is immigration really used as a, a tool for businesses working together, perhaps with local government, uh, to try to meet their skills needs? Here's a bit of a downer. Uh, yes, there are plenty of skill worker jobs available. The problem that we have is the federal government has changed the rules to immigration, which now they were enforcing across Canada a higher level of IELTS test or English language skills test, which prevented some of these skilled individuals from coming in, even though they were perfectly capable of operating. A little additional English language is very important and we didn't object to it. But they put the level so high that it kind of eliminated a lot of the people who were skilled. And secondly, uh, they demanded post-secondary education before you came in. Post-secondary education comes in a number of different forms. It can come from intellectual post-secondary education or it can come from home skills secondary education. We believe that both of them are valuable and I think for a Canadian economy, both of them are necessary. But because they changed the skill requirements, it eliminated, again, a lot of the people who had the skill sets uh, because they didn't have the education to back them. So we're struggling with that one a little bit. So the number of people that are coming in 
under that umbrella today are less. You know, we're continuing to grow at 2.5%, 3% per year. But right now, that skill set is a little, uh, we, we need more people. Is that policy challenge at the federal level something that you and perhaps the Chamber of Commerce have been uh, working to um, raise awareness uh, with among federal partners in terms of uh, what Winkler's needs are going forward? Yes, we've addressed it because if, if you address it specifically from one community, the federal government doesn't really listen. So we addressed it from a rural economic development standpoint. And we consider ourselves a rural community. We had a meeting with Minister Sohi just this last fall, together with a group of rural economic uh, concerned individuals in regards to immigration. And uh, I'm hoping that that meeting, and I think some of that has taken root, and hopefully that it will help us to change some of the requirements, making them more flexible. Not You, you, you can't have one size fits all. When we look at the uh, the challenges facing rural communities across Canada and what the role of immigration might be, now you have a bit of a track record, of course, in Winkler, a bit of a history, a uh, strong history on immigration and meeting skills needs and entrepreneurial development. Um, but what about rural communities? What are your thoughts on rural communities across Canada that haven't really explored the potential for immigration in helping them to to um, grow, grow their economies and uh, grow their population. If they're starting at a different spot, of course, than, than you are. But what, what, what advice would you give in terms of the potential that is there? You know, rural Canada needs to wake up and realize that they are a dying breed unless they diversify. Agricultural uh, properties are getting bigger and bigger requiring less and less people to operate the farms and creating more and more goods and service that comes out of that. Either you're going to diversify and be able to serve the businesses that are there or create some value-added businesses, or you will simply be a dot on the, on the map that uh, has no significance whatsoever. Uh, if I go back, and I've been here for 12 years, but I'm, I haven't created uh, all of the the growth that happened in Winkler. That happened way back, and I have to acknowledge that for many mayors prior, prior to this. But when I only need to go back and look at some of the records of like 30, 40 years ago, there was, from the provincial government and other government agencies, said that Winkler would become a dying community, that nothing going for it. You would see communities, whether it's Morden or whether it's Roland or whether it's Plum Coulee, they were actually bigger than Winkler were. And every single one of them is smaller today. And some of them are dying uh, as a community, uh, basically because of the fact that they did not adjust to the needs that were there. So my advice to other communities, either adjust or you will, if you continue to say no, and you continue not to want to take risk, you will continue to deteriorate. Thanks very much, Martin. And of course, the Winkler example is something to be very hopeful about. And I like the fact that um, any naysayers back in the day were proven wrong. And um, hopefully there's some learnings in there, of course, for uh, other rural communities. Thank you very much for being part of our program today. All right. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for joining us this week. Please drop us a line with your ideas for upcoming episodes at info at ruralspark.ca. The Rural Spark team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seaborough. Music by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.